Welcome, welcome. This is episode number 78 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We bring you the latest and greatest in internet marketing and analytics, testing, optimization, traffic generation, whatever it is in internet marketing, we bring it to you every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on Stitcher Radio and on iTunes, where please feel free to subscribe on iTunes, rate us, review us, love us, share us. We know you love the show, so tell everyone else about it. Spread the love. We got a great lineup of things to talk about this evening. Of course, before we get into every episode, we have to talk about the drinks we're drinking to get into the mood to bring you the latest and greatest. You guess what it is I'm drinking. Just wild guess, throw something out there. Uh, Moscow Mule. Oh, you win. <laughs> that, was an, that was a softball. I got some harder ones coming to you later in the show, okay. but that was an easy one. So All what right. are you doing? I'm actually doing Talisker 12 Neat. Wow, that's Quite fancy. Tasty. Now, is that a PD one? I can't not remember too bad. That I mean, it's not Lafroic level where it's smoldering uh, right. tires in yeah. my mouth. But I, I believe I'd have a Talisker 10 at home. No, well, I'm, bl- I'm blanking on that right now. But yeah, it's it's definitely in between a Lafroig and what we would call, I guess, a more normal bitch mode scotch than most everyone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say bitch mode, but like a, a Glenfiddich or something like okay. that, you know, pretty mild. Let's go through the rundown here really quick. First off, we're going to be talking about email frequency with a little bit of a slant towards the holidays. Next up, tips for local SEOs. Next, holidays are coming. Hey, I know it's it's early out there. If you aren't already planning, psh, you're too late. I mean, too I don't late. go shopping in the real world. It's all Amazon for me, but I'm sure they're playing holiday jams oh, yeah. in all the stores right now. The Christmas lights are up. Mm-hmm. It's coming soon. It'll be right upon Screw us the before pilgrims. you know it. We're talking about Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Amazon rolling out an ad network. What does that mean? How can I take advantage of this? You got to jump on that stuff while it's hot. Oh, yeah. Retina emails. What does it mean when... Well, first of all, what the hell is Retina <laughs> for those people who are not aware of this? Right. And what does that have to do with my emails? And then, of course, as you like to say, last but not least, Google Corner. We got to you know, we gotta do the rundown of what's going on in Mountain View from our friends at Google. So to get this thing popping. So this is a study. I found this on Marketing Land. This was a study performed by Return Path, okay. which if you don't know who that is, I'm not going to explain it, actually. Google Ooh, that. That's okay. that's your homework. Let me Google that for you. Yeah, Google that. And this basically looked at a lot of the top retailers in terms of what are their sender scores, which is basically a compilation of how great they are at emailing. Mm-hmm. And how often do they send out emails? And how does that relate to their sender scores? All right, so I'll be able to run through some of these, but I wanted to mention a couple of retailers, which I love doing this kind of competitive research. Both J. Crew and the Guilt Group mm-hmm. stood at the top of the pack in quotes from this report. So if you want to see what the guys out there who know what they're doing and have sender scores that are through the roof, head over to J. Crew and Guilt Group and sign up for those newsletters and see how it's done. All right, so just to take it back a little bit, why don't you explain to everyone what a sender score actually is or who does that? That is an amazing question. And I'm okay. so glad that I you asked that. it because I am thoroughly prepared <laughs> with the quotable answer from senderscore.org. Great. To answer the question, what is a sender score? The sender score is an indication of the trustworthiness of an email sender's IP address and is used by email providers and filters to determine additional email filtering criteria. Okay. So on top of whatever it is inside of your spammy emails, Mm -hmm. 
also just the fact that you are the one sending it helps me understand if I'm going to throw that into a spam folder or not. Right. Okay. So if you have a high score, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And if you got a low score, you need to check out why that is. Check yourself because you're about to wreck yourself. You already done wrecked yourself. <laughs> so you need to fix that. I'm going to talk a little bit about, and these are in terms of how frequent people send emails on a weekly basis. So starting at number one and up to five plus, I'm sure you'll have some insights onto this because, man, there's nothing worse than getting an email every damn morning from somebody I don't buy stuff from. Why Mm -hmm. do they continue to do that? All right. So average number of messages sent per week at number one for retailers. Again, this is in the retail uh, industry. People who sent on average one email a week had an average retailer center score of 83. So not too bad, right? An average, this is not spam rate of 1% and an average inbox placement rate of 92%. So I'm going to talk about those three numbers as I go through some of these. Number two, awfully similar to those numbers, so I'm not going to talk about that. So if you send one or two times a week, you're virtually the same as how most retailers uh, end up scoring and ranking Mm -hmm. in, in some of those things. But as soon as you start sending three times a week, that's when your this is not spam rate starts to drop. So now we're at 0.73% instead of 1.07%. But interestingly enough, my sender score has gone up. So that's when the trend starts to change a bit. But when you look at four times a week, we sort of fall back in line with one and two again. So I think the takeaway from that is one, two, three, or four. And this, I don't know if these are statistically significantly different numbers. So take that with a grain of salt, Mm -hmm. but one, two, and three, and four, it seems like for the most part, a lot of these numbers are the same, but once you hit five, five plus, damn, look at all those numbers. They all plummet. Average retailer center score of 62 compared to numbers in the eighties. Earn. Um, average inbox placement rate of 71% compared to numbers in the 90s. High 90s sometimes even. Yeah. And, you know, just basically all across the board, all those numbers go into the wrong end of the spectrum, whatever it is. Just overall, briefly looking at these, it almost seems like trying to send about two to three emails a week seems to be the sweet spot. You know, you have to kind of consider all these things overall. Sure. But it seems like those guys out there with retail stores, two to three emails a week seems to be the sweet spot to avoid getting all those unsubscribes, spam complaints, and to have a a sweet, sweet sender score. I think there's also probably some other aspects that are going into those ratings and that not only, I believe, is frequency a part of this equation and that you're not necessarily inundating people with messages, but when you're sending five plus per week, are you really thinking through each and every email send? Is it really that much quality into that? Or yeah. are you just essentially, you know, no pun intended, spamming people with just trying to increase your chances of getting that sale? Whereas when you're limiting it to two or three or even four, you can maybe think through those campaigns. What is our creative going to look like? What's that messaging going to be? But you're also potentially putting a little bit more effort into your data and things like that. Whereas perhaps the people in the five plus category are just it for the cash grab and it's just let's bulk send to everyone mm-hmm. let's get as many emails out there as possible and, and increase our odds of performing but what they don't realize is they're paying for that on the back end with reputation and yeah like i mean that. i think i think to your point you know i think you can even go even farther and just say that stats when i report on things or when we talk about things or you hear anybody talk about benchmarks anything like that there are so many other things you need to consider you just have to sort of take them at very strict face value and you can't know for sure that these types of things are going to apply to your business or other businesses in your industry. Right. But at least a a place to start. Exactly. What your strategy is going to be. Exactly. Another reason why I wanted to bring this up, and this is going to dovetail into another topic we're going to bring up later, which is the holidays. Okay. 
And that is that in this report from Marketing Land, they have a very clear warning for all you emailers out there who maybe send those two to three a week. The holidays are coming up and you're going to probably want to send a lot more than that, depending on how big your lists are, what kind of promotions you got going on. I mean, you're going to have things flying off the shelves and you got to tell people about them, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there is some harm in very quickly ramping up how often you send to your email lists, which can negatively affect your sender scores. So as we approach the holidays, start bumping that up a little bit. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe if you're at two, maybe let's bump to three and then maybe three and then four the next week and then three and then just start slowly increasing the frequency you have. So that come the holidays, you don't do all those huge blasts every day and then get smoked on your sender score and now everything goes to your spam box. Something to also potentially consider as well as do you necessarily need to send that many out? I know that we've talked about here on the podcast, particularly if you're doing a lot of promotional type of sends, you can start conditioning your users, speaking of that, to have some apprehension in taking advantage Mm -hmm. of those promos and actually buying from you. If you are always sending me out sales emails, we can take West Elm or even J. Crew and Banana as examples. They send out promo emails quite frequently, and I find myself more often than not having a bit of hesitancy when I'm going to buy something and thinking to myself, is this really going to be the best price I'm going to get? Or should I just, ah, maybe I'll wait. Maybe I'll get a better email. Uh, So think about what your promo strategy is. And I know that it is quite risky. You want to follow what the pack's doing or what you did last year that might have been extremely successful. But just be careful about your frequency of promos and what that can do on the negative side. And especially for your loyal customers, that can really throw them in their purchase decisions. And am I really sure that this is going to be the best time to buy and things of that nature? I mean, I think that's a great point. And I'll, I'll just sort of end on this note before we roll on because we've spent a lot of time, time talking about email. But that is that I think in general, I think you're right. And I know we've talked about that on the podcast before. But I think during the holidays, you can... You can rely on your customers to not wait as long, right? I mean, Mm because let's say it's three weeks out from Christmas Eve or whatever it is. I can run very discounts all the time and promotions because I think a lot of people are going to just pull the trigger because like I can't risk it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, normally, yeah, I can wait two months to buy that couch from West Elm, but I got to pull the trigger now or it may be never. Mm -hmm. So I think some of that disappears during the holiday season. But again, I think you're right in general terms outside of it. And that varies a lot based on industry too. All right. So... Enough on that. What are we talking about next? So I wanted to talk a little bit about SEO. We cover it from time to time. And I even in that local event we went to more recently, that seemed to be a very hot topic with people yeah. uh, here in Jacksonville. What is this dark magic that is SEO? And, and really wanted to talk a little bit about local, which I feel like sometimes we don't spend enough time on here on the show because a lot of businesses do rely on local reach and how that affects their business. So for those that aren't aware... There are many update animal names out there as it pertains to Google's <laughs> algorithm. There's Penguin, there's Panda. The one that we're going to talk about specifically today is Pigeon. And that is one that is Google's effort to increase local visibility within search results. And there is a very interesting and in-depth blog post on Moz, which we'll tweet out, and you should definitely take a look if local is something of interest for you. And what they did was talk through and with some of the top local SEO talent out there and distill some takeaways on what you should really be concentrating on with Pigeon, uh, in particular with your business. And I thought that some were pretty pertinent to talk about. I believe that people can start instituting or at least think about how they're going to tackle these strategies. 
And the number one thing that became very evident in talking with these SEO experts is out of most of the algorithms out there, Pigeon seems like the one that is most in flux. So most of the SEO experts specifically said, if you are searching your business and you find yourself moving around a lot in local results. So what we mean by that is when you search for something like, let's say home security in Jacksonville, there will more often than not be actual local business results that are getting pulled into Google's search engine page. So our goal as a business is get as high on that list as possible because that's going to be top of results and how Google is rendering out their search engine result right now. High importance and for some industries can be a huge competitive advantage. So one of the top takeaways that a lot of the SEOs said is as long as you are trending positive, keep on keeping on, but mm -hmm. understand that there is still a lot of changes happening with Pigeon on a very monthly basis. And quite a few of them noted that there is this hypothesis that many of them are holding is there's actually three different algorithms that Google is testing in their different data centers, because many of them actually have tools that will take screenshots from different IPs that are rendering out the results, and they're finding wildly different results for the same search query based on different data centers that are actually returning these results. So top takeaway was don't panic, but you should be focusing a lot on local directory link building. They said, unfortunately, in this industry, that still works. And so it's necessary evil that you need to concentrate on. They said, from a competitive standpoint, you need to do some searches and find out in your local area which directories have the most power and ensure that you're always keeping up to date, making sure that your contact information has synergy, your phone numbers are all the same, and keeping up to date is going to be paramount for you. They also talked about you need to really look at where your competitive landscape is for keywords. And even though you might be a jewelry store, you might need to diversify what you're specifically going after with your local listings. Maybe jewelry is just far too competitive. And what you'll find is as words get more and more competitive, the reach of your results will go down. So if I'm searching for a jewelry store in Jacksonville, because there's going to be so many results, Google is going to try to find the closest results to me because there's so many in Jacksonville, it's going to be a very narrow list. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the SEOs, which I thought this was a good point, consider potentially going after much more specific keywords where there are going to be less results, but you're actually going to be returned as a provider for a wider area. So maybe it's jewelry gold repair or something much more long-tailed, but because there's going to be less people going after that, Google is going to incorporate you into the results for more people because, again, there's less competition. So you need to really think about what your SEO strategy is going to be. And maybe, again, even though it's popular, it's sexy, a ton of people are searching for a jewelry store, you might actually find more business coming in the door from Google by getting much more specific and something that you might need to concentrate on. Again, chock full of very interesting takeaways, worth a read. We'll tweet out a link, but Pigeon is here to stay. Keep in mind, there's still a lot of flux going on. So if you're noticing your results changing here and there, as long as you're trending positive, understand that you're making progress, but also evaluate your strategy and see if you need to get a little bit more specific to, again, break away from your competitors. Rob, I hear Jingle Bells playing in the background. Yeah, Maybe Christmas some Mariah Carey singing. Woo, the goose come is on. getting fat. I don't know the rest tell of the words of that song. But <laughs> tell yeah. us about the holidays. Well, I love them, but they are coming up. You know, like I said in the end, intro there. The holidays are coming. I mean, we're at basically the 90 day mark. It's time to be implementing the marketing plans that you should have already come up with. But if you haven't, 
I don't know, maybe you have another 30 days and you can do a 60 day plan. You maybe. have 30 days to plan it out and, and then implement it. I wanted to talk about some of the things that I think people need to be planning for in advance, but also to just reinforce the concept here. And this is the primary thing I wanted to talk about, which is that all of those tests that you've run, all of this stuff that works right now, all these email sending techniques you use, the messaging you use, paid search ads that get the best clicks right now, that is not necessarily going to be what we're in the next starting 30 days from now. Uh, we're going to be in the in the thick of it. And all of that stuff could flip flop. I mean, all of your competitors messages are probably going to change as, as well as yours. You're going to have to retest all of that stuff. That's the main thing I want to get across to people is that you need to have new messages ready to roll out on all of your key pages, all of your key campaigns and all of your key email messaging things that you send out because all of that stuff needs to be sort of retested. It's a do or die situation right now. It's like we're starting from scratch and trying to figure out what our messaging is going to be for this holiday season because it's not going to be what we used the last 90 days. Well, and I think that this article really sums it up well in that are you ready for people that probably or potentially have zero exposure to right. who you are? These are strangers or there's also going to be a lot more competitive shopping potentially now and people are aware of where you stand in the marketplace to our point from last episode, is your value proposition clear? When these strangers are coming onto your site and they potentially will spend much less time on your site because time is of the essence. You know, we got the urgency of them, the holidays, Mariah Carey singing in the background, we got jingle bells and I need to get these gifts or make these decisions for my business before close of year. Those types of things really become paramount. And as you said, that strategy might be completely different to that community you've been fostering all year. And are you prepared for that? You also made a good point of preparedness. The issue that a lot of marketers get into in the holiday season is becoming holed up and solely hyper-focused on their own business, whereas really you should be planning far out in advance because holiday season is one where competitive analysis really becomes important. Again, you have people that are probably competitive shopping a lot. You also have your competitors that are probably dumping a lot more money into marketing and becoming hyper-focused on what your business is doing and not being aware of what's going on out there can really hurt you. So that's why it pays, again, to prepare in advance. So it allows you some flexibility to be able to adjust. You know, I have everything done. Email campaigns are done. I have my draft PPC campaigns and ads, but I'm seeing that the market's shifting this way and I can react because I've done all the hard legwork and that allows me the flexibility to pivot if I need to. Uh, and so that's why that planning portion is just so important. So again, don't become so focused on what exactly your business is doing. And I know that's difficult. I work in e-commerce and holiday season is insane, but you have to keep an eye out on the competitors and how your strategy might change. I mean, all great points. I will just really quickly, again, this is another article from Marketing Land. We're on a roll today. I will, you know, obviously we'll tweet all these out, but I do want to roll through each one of these. I know we've already touched on several of these, but I'm just going to roll through each of their six points just because I think it, it may, you know, hit something in someone's mind who's maybe listening in and, and goes, wow, yeah, that will apply to, to our campaign. So number one they have on here, and that is simply that they are strangers. So 
they don't necessarily know your brand. Let's mm-hmm. say I'm, uh, again, to use West Elm or J. Crew. you know, a lot of my customers already know who I am and they are already on my email list. They've already bought from me. So I don't have to sell them on my brand. I'm just selling them on the individual products. That may completely change in the holiday season. Number two, they're different people. So not only are they not necessarily familiar with my brand, but they may be totally different demographics from a different part of the country, mm-hmm. uh, male versus female, an older demo versus a younger demo, If right. we, you know, depending on who you typically target. So that's another thing you need to take in consideration. If you've got one of those really new, fly, flat, responsive websites that old people can't use, yeah. You know, you got to prepare for that. I'm thinking that meme where it has a lady with the glasses holding him up, (laughs) squinting. That's exactly what what I'm imagining. Maybe that's what I'll tweet out with this article (laughs) when we do it. They act differently. You know, this is in the same sort of vein as like number one is that, again, these people may not be familiar with your site. So when you monitor your website metrics and look for things like time on site and navigational flows and funnels, all of this stuff could drastically change. Mm -hmm. And you can't rely on those old metrics that you used to hold as like the benchmarks for your website because all that stuff is going to be used in a different way. Number four, uh, they search differently. Anyone who has their own search engine on a site, you know, I know a lot of big e-commerce stores try, try to roll their own rigs. You have to account for people using things like gift models modifiers and purchases for other people who may not know exactly what they're looking for, broader type searches, things like that account for those things. Number five, they buy differently. I think that makes sense. They're not buying for themselves. They're buying for other people. So how does that fit into your particular store? And finally, they have different motivators. I think that's probably pretty similar to number five. Again, these are right. these are not necessarily purchases for themselves. Well, and I think what's interesting about this is I think a lot of this can apply to different parts of the year if your business is seasonal. So not just because it's holiday season, but for example, my wife is a teacher and they have certain times of the year where it's enrollment and people are starting to shop for schools for their kids. And in that point of the year, behavior is going to radically change on that site. You're not now having a usage pattern of people that go to that school and are looking for resources for checking on my kids' grades or whatever it might be. People now are shopping for potentially your service and that demographic could be wildly different and their reasons for being at the site could drastically change. So a lot of these things can apply outside of just the holiday season and and understanding where your business fits into the grand scheme of things, who are my demographics, what is my marketing message, and how that needs to change depending on what season and what season I'm, I'm working in. So yeah. moving on, one of the things that we wanted to cover quite briefly, but been publicized recently that Amazon has moved away from using Google's ad placements within its site and now has its own platform. What's changed now is there is also talks that Amazon is going to start rolling this ad network outside of its own ecosystem. And why I wanted to discuss this is, one, I think competition is good. I mean, AdWords has a ton of pull because of the search volume, but Amazon has a wealth of information. I mean, they have a huge customer list, a lot of data on shopping habits, affinities, what things people like versus other things, building those demographics on being able to target what people are finding a value related to other things. They have a lot of purchase data. They know who people are. To me, they are one of the strongest competitors out of the gate to Google with the wealth of information they have. And it is quite known that Amazon is a great data miner and one that is very strongly analytics side. So I think that Amazon presents an interesting challenge to Google. I'm particularly interested on how that's going to shake up the industry because not only do they have a wealth of information, the Amazon ecosystem 
system is huge. I think a lot of people forget about how many devices they have. I mean, barring their embarrassment of their fire launch, I mean, they have a ton of Kindles out there. They have just a wealth of devices and that ecosystem is very diverse. They have video watch patterns. They have their, again, their video service. They have audio, they have books, can collect from a lot of different points out there, but also they are starting to expand their reach into different areas. I mean, it's been widely publicized with their purchase of Twitch, which has a huge user base. For people that don't know about that, it's a streaming service that a lot of different companies use, but most notably gaming, which is a a massive industry and has tons of dollars and eyes on that and a lot of purchase power. So be paying attention to what Amazon's doing in the ad space. It could shake things up quite a bit. If you are a retailer or just a business in general, uh, be prepared for that. You know, try to get in on the base level. I think there is going to be an interesting shift in the ad market with Amazon really getting into it. And again, I think that they're going to have a wealth of information that can really help your ads perform. I'm curious to see how that's going to shake out in terms of the privacy implications. Sure. I mean, Absolutely. you know, for a service like Google, it's free. I expect you to sell some of my data in this roundabout way. But mm-hmm. when I'm buying something from a service, I don't necessarily, I mean, I know they all do this, but it, it, right. I think it's going to feel weird for people once once they find out about what Amazon may be able to leverage against you. I mean, I know it's all, it sure. all works out, you know, yeah. it's better for you in terms of seeing more relevant ads, but that's the only thing I think that's going to be an interesting play out in the media. Well, if, especially if all this is true, you know, right. And it's, but it's been interesting how much more privacy aware people have become yeah. now, whether that means that they're going to take their dollars elsewhere, that might be something that it's, we'll have it's to too see. too convenient. I can't, right. <laughs> I'm locked in. Especially all right. with working on drones. Tell me all about retinas and eyeballs in emails. So we don't have to belabor this too long, but one of the more recent technology buzzwords out there has been retina and how these high pixel density displays have changed how we need to code websites. So what do I mean by that? Most now modern tablets and cell phones, it's still a little bit of fragmentation going on there. So both on Apple and Android, you will find these screens that have a high pixel density. So that's a lot of jargon, jargon, blah, blah, blah. What does all that mean? Well, what it means is the way that you currently coded your site, what happens is when these screens that have a really high pixel density render out your emails and your websites, what you'll notice is they're straight hideous because it essentially stretches everything and, mm-hmm. and in ways where it maybe was not intended to and just degrades the quality. So what a lot of designers and developers have started to keep in mind and as they're coding websites is keeping these retina displays in mind, actually having to change their code base to take that into account. So if we have certain assets like buttons or CS that actually needs to change based on the device so our websites don't look hideous. Well, one of the stepchilds that is often left out from that is email. And you'll notice if you're in the space, your email can look radically different depending on the device that it's used, not just because of your CSS rules for width and things of that nature. But if I'm using one of these high pixel density displays, like the new iPhone or even the past, I think iPhone 4 was the start of Retina or 4S. Anyways. Uh, yeah, because I think we talked about this like OG on like episode 10 or something in the okay. podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so four sounds right. And iPads and also a lot of people because Apple markets Retina quite a bit, but there are quite a few Android devices that also fall under yeah. this kind of like my Nexus 5. It has a high pixel density display. So this is just a reminder that if you're in the email space, 
make sure that your CSS and your HTML for your emails is retina ready, that you're using those style sheets and you have those assets ready. So really your emails can look the best for those clients. I think people gloss over the fact of how much design plays into the performance of email and just a shopping experience. We're trying to exude a quality or a certain brand as people take that user journey. And if that's not being done correctly or synergistically, depending on what device I'm using, then I'm really putting myself at a disadvantage. So if you're an email marketer and you don't even know what I'm talking about, discuss it with your email provider or maybe your developer. But Retina is something that you should be paying attention to and making sure that your email templates and how you're designing them is taking that into account because, again, it can look wildly different and quite hideous if you're not. Couple things I wanted to add to that is, is, you know, one, obviously, you know, like you said, the Retina has been around for a while, but the big key is that now so many other devices have it. You know, Apple's rolled it out to all the iPads, all the MacBooks that come out now have it. And like you said, a lot of the Android devices too. So it's something that I think for a while people could kind of ignore. Like, ah, it's not a big deal. Like, just some people on iPhones kind of have it and it's not a big deal. But it's becoming more and more prevalent. So it's something you need to be aware of. And one other thing, which I think you mentioned briefly, which is that I think one of the major things you need to be aware of when doing uh, retina design are your images. And especially in, in things like email, where it's a little bit more difficult to have control over how we display those, especially responsively, it's good to try to keep your emails a little bit cleaner, not sure. so uh, photograph heavy. So those things do look great on retina devices. So Let's talk about Google Corner. Okay. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Take it on the home stretch. We wanted to spend some time on, one, getting back to SEO, back to animal names. Penguin was an update that Google did to look at the link portfolio of sites and start penalizing websites that have potentially went out and, by nefarious or innocent reasons, procured links to their site in an effort to rank better that had very low relevance or were also a bit spammy in nature. And so that's what Penguin was charged with doing is cleaning up the results, looking at websites, link portfolios, and adjusting for quality sources, essentially. Just be mindful that there is a lot of buzz and talk that a update is coming in soon. It's actually been the one that's touched least. So it's the oldest algorithm out there. And there's been quite a few conversations that are starting to pick up and solidify that an update is coming in soon. The last thing I'm going to touch on is just a recap on AdWords. So we, I feel like every week we've talked about AdWords, there's a lot of changes that have happened over the last month. So here's just a quick rundown on things that have come out from AdWords that you should be paying attention to and potentially testing for yourself. Number one, call out ad extensions. I don't actually think we've talked about this much on the show. So with this call out announcement, essentially depending on what placement you are in the search engine result page, it's gonna be top placements. You'll be able to make a certain call out about your business. So in the example that Google released, you can give certain value points about your business. So free shipping, 24 seven customer support, price matching, things like that. And you are talking about this before, it's really just a hack for your character limits to be able to stuff more into your ad. This has been covered quite a bit. Close variant matching for exact and phrase match keywords is rolling out. Now it'll be checked by default. What do we mean by that is now, depending on the keywords that you have in your account, Google will automatically pull in words that it feels like are close matches. That can sometimes lead to unexpected keywords that you're bidding on. So really pay attention to the search queries that your ads are being placed on and you might want to play around with that. You do have the option to opt out of that, but that is not checked by default. 
There's also some more shakeups with PLAs. Site links now can be dynamic based on keywords that you're bidding after and what's going on with your site. We covered this quite a bit on the podcast. You can now track your calls on your website from PPC Click with Google's new service. As we mentioned, definitely would skip that. There's other better providers that can give you deeper level of analytics people like CallRail, so check them out. I think that's going to be it. I mean, if you run mobile applications, there's also some changes for marketing your applications within AdWords. So if that's something that pertains to you or you want to get some more traction to your mobile apps, you definitely have some new options there. That's going to do it for Google Corner. That was an absolutely amazing episode, front to back. It was amazing. I would have to agree, wide array of things that we covered tonight. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, as Rob would like to say, share with a friend, a colleague, a lover. Please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever channel you found us on. It helps us grow the show, but informs us on how we're doing and things that we potentially need to change. You can also give us a call, 904-270-9603. Have an idea for the show. Maybe as you listen every week, you think, those beer guys are pretty smart. They haven't thought about this. Let us know. Or if you're struggling with something, you can also let us know. We have a lot of experience in the industry, and if we can't help you out, we can certainly put you in contact with someone that can. Not only can you call us, which goes directly to Rob's hamburger bearded marketer's phone, which he waits day and night by, but you can also leave us a line at thebeardedmarketers.com slash contact, or reach out to us on Twitter, which is where we send out all the links for the show. So definitely peep us on that channel. Again, thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.